2: She hates me, she's disappointed I could see it in her eyes when we met I've got to stop sweating. Oh, she looked at my hairline. She thinks I'm bald. She's thinking I would never in a million years sleep with this guy. We think you're great. Oh, thanks. Wow, that's that's nice to hear. To begin,
3: coffee would help me think. Coffee and a muffin. I'm going up to Santa Barbara this Saturday, and I, I was wondering...
2: I'm sorry. So I'll just be
4: right back with your pie then.
0: Drum roll, please. I'm going to be a screenwriter like you.
3: I'm putting in a chase sequence. So the killer flees on horseback, cops after them on a motorcycle. And it's like a battle between motors and horses, like technology versus horse.
0: Hello and welcome to Rewatchability, the podcast where we rewatch old movies to see if they hold up over time. My name is Blaine Waters. With me as always is Robert LaRonde and Jay McNabb. And uh, joining us for this podcast are the hosts of What About Merrill, Danita and Emily.
1: Hey, guys.
0: Hi. <laughs> hey. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>
1: Thanks for having us. <laughs> That's great.
0: And before we start the podcast, we just want to quickly shout out to our sponsors, Andy Mattress and HelloFresh. And thank you to our Patreon subscribers, those who give us one, three, five dollars a month. Thank you very much for helping us out. You're like our ghost orchids. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Relatively you hard know? to find. Yeah, yeah.
5: And when you donate <laughs> and become our ghost orchid, you get like great things like the podcast early. Yeah. At a certain level, you get like the classic episodes,
3: Mystere Serious green drugs, real <laughs>
0: high. We perform dial tones for you. It's a it's a real plus. <laughs> so this week on rewatchability, we rewatched Adaptation because it stars Meryl Streep, which you guys are an expert in.
1: Yes, we I, like
4: to hope so. I mean, yeah. By now, we've done like thirty-five of her movies on the podcast, so right. I would say you know if anybody knows about Meryl,
5: yeah, podcast it might PhD, be us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Or possibly her friends and
3: family, yeah, maybe them, maybe her. <laughs> it's like her daughter. kids and then you, yeah.
4: Exactly, we pretty much are her kids. Mamie now. doesn't even know her that
3: well.
2: <laughs> no, I
4: don't think so. Um, yeah, but I, I feel like we've learned so much about Meryl over time, and she's got a lot of movies that maybe aren't your style of movies. Like Whoa. you know,
5: that's an assumption. D- well, I I
4: <laughs> look, I've listened to your your podcast, and I feel like you know, Bridges of Madison County wouldn't be your top choice. Mamma Mia wouldn't be your top okay. choice. It- but this movie to me seems like a choice you guys would like Uh, so I'm very curious to see what you guys think of this movie well you know
3: one of our earliest episodes was uh, Death Becomes
0: Her Mm -hmm. yeah you you guys did yes yeah that was I think we all liked that yeah for sure, yeah, great one. yeah. It was a it was a fascinating. I I wanted to do Bridges in Madison County because I watched that with my mom when I was younger. So cute, um, and and I wanted to see it all. That, but you guys had never watched it, Jim no.
3: No, I think it was because that was one that like my parents liked so much when I was a kid. Yeah. I that's how I rebelled as a teenager by saying <laughs> I'll never watch that movie, <laughs> right.
5: uh, or any movie about bridges.
3: Yeah, <laughs> Bridge over the River Kwai. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and now Clint Eastwood has gone crazy, so now I just don't want to watch it.
4: Oh my god, right. you guys, yeah. just like look. Up the the gif of him like in the rain, like there's like this really dramatic moment where it's supposed to be really romantic, and he's like sopping wet, and he's like barely their hair is like sticking it's to so his face, <laughs> just like and three
0: was, strands of it. Yeah, yeah. Of this, yeah. yeah.
4: it's horrifying. So that um, was
0: as vulnerable
5: as a man could be back then. <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> what to like admit his his coma. standing was in the rain. <laughs> That's all.
0: <laughs> okay, and so. using an umbrella. <laughs> okay, so let's go around and talk about the first time we saw adaptation, Rob. I saw it in university. My university
5: girlfriend was in the film studies program at York. She took classes with J.M. and so she like oh. imparted me like a lot of like you know really cool film knowledge and like mm. introduced me to like a lot of auteurs and people okay. that you know that I've since sort of like taken as like inspiration, and, like Spike you know, Jones yeah, like yeah. Spike Jones, for sure, actually, or Charlie Kaufman in particular, and so I remember she had the, she had like the script, the published script version of adaptation, and a VHS cassette. So I read and watched it back to
3: back. Did you do it at the same time, like those like read along with a tape books? <laughs> yeah. <and the> kids? <laughs> yeah
5: when you hear Charlie Kaufman groan, turn the page <laughs> oh. <laughs> i don 't want to turn the page when he does that. But so I really love this movie, and also, like, as, you know, an aspiring writer, I really took it to heart, because it's a, it's a movie about the existential complexities of creation and how hard it is to write shit. <laughs> so,
0: uh... The first part
5: was really eloquent. But, <laughs> but I also recognize that it, in ways, like, it's not a great movie, like, it's not my favorite Charlie Kaufman movie. Like, it doesn't... It seems to fall apart in the end, I what? always thought, but so I was definitely excited to rewatch it. What about you, Jim?
3: I feel like our two stories are going to be kind of similar because we saw it at the same screening before we knew each other. Well,
0: do you want to explain what it was? It was like a pre-screening for the film that they had at U of T. Yeah, yeah. In it's college,
3: I didn't go to U of T, but they they gave out passes to like a bunch of local film schools. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. like it was Charlie Kaufman, Nicholas Cage, and Spike Jones.
0: Yeah, we're all there watching the movie with us, which was really cool. Yeah.
3: But then they were, I don't know if they were like still editing it or whatever, because the whole, they sort of did an hour afterwards where they were like asking the kids, questions about the movies like yeah. did you get this did you like this yeah that kind the of kids
0: thing. got it it was the older people that were like why did the third act fall apart <laughs> uh-huh. <And> he's <laughs> like okay uh, <laughs> wait are you that man <laughs>
3: <laughs> no a lot of people yeah were very kind of like got pretty hostile about yeah. the uh oh, wow. the ending of and the and movie. no one
0: asked Nicolas cage a question oh my friend no, anyway i'll tell story. Yeah.
3: okay yeah so i mean that's that's my only thing and actually i uh I accidentally asked Siri something. <laughs> 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 Siri, what did you think of adaptation? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always kind of felt like I wish I had said something during the Q&A oh. part because I liked the ending and mm-hmm. uh, I thought mm-hmm. people were being a little unfair, but... I think Spike Jones kind of hung around for a bit afterwards. I think I told him that when I I got him to sign, like, my uh, a scrap of paper I'd written some notes on that day. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I still have that somewhere. Nice. <laughs> um, it was so, Blaine, tell me your experience. You were at the same screening.
0: Yeah, I was at the same screening. It was a very different experience. It was a very weird experience. My friend took me, and we did. I didn't have a pass, so we were just standing in line in hopes to get a pass to see it because I was obsessed with Charlie Kaufman. And yeah, it was a it was a weird experience. It was a it was the first time. So I don't know if I should tell the story on the podcast, but all right. So I I uh, I left line to go to the washroom, and in this college is a is a hot spot for 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 some activity. What when kind of people, activity? Uh, just a sexual activity. Oh. So when I walked into the male washroom, there were two men uh, making love. Oh. And I don't know if you call it making love in a washroom. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but they were there and I ran to the stall because uh, I didn't really know what was happening. And I was like, oh, they'll, they'll leave because there's another person here. But then they just finished up while I was in the stall. And I, <laughs> I, I felt a little awkward about that. That made it hotter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I left and I went upstairs and my friend was like, we're going to go see this movie. And I was like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I was just very out of my out of myself.
3: You felt too worldly now. You'd seen too much to watch. Yeah, some Yeah, I was staring the
0: distance a lot, You're having all
5: these questions. Yeah,
3: yeah. This was also no. before like Grindr and Tinder and stuff. So presumably people had to be like, wait till Charlie Kaufman releases a movie, <laughs> yeah. go to the pre-screening
0: and meet me in the bathroom, and people would wait years to for a rendezvous. <laughs> so romantic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also I also felt bad because I I don't know I didn't want to. Uh, like I felt like, oh like this kid comes in they're like, Oh, this guy's gonna judge us, so I wanted to say something because like <laughs> my my father figure was gay, so I was like, Ah, oh, this is cool guys, uh like I'm but, but then I was also like, I'm gonna ruin the moment if I say anything. Right. So I did Yeah, yeah, it was it was what a complex a Yeah, <laughs> it was a complex moment in my life that now that everyone knows. Anyway, then I went back up. If you could say anything to those two guys, what would you say? You know, I hope you found what you were looking for. You know? Out there. In the distance. No, so then I went back up, and my friend that was with me, he got in, and then I got into, like, standing room only, which was really cool, so I still saw the movie, and then he asked the only question of Nicolas Cage, who was biting their fingernails? There was someone oh, like, yeah, it was Nick Cage. It was Nic thing. was gnawing on his fingers and spitting it yeah, on the I was, ground with people sitting in front of me. I was the- sitting on the ground. <laughs> uh, I told you that.
3: Because I, uh, I was late, so I had to sit on the floor, and yeah, they were sitting right in front of me. He was biting his nails and spitting Oh, my
2: them, God. Which... <laughs>
3: I was like, is he still in character? Like, why is he doing this? <laughs> yeah. That's... Is there, like, will that unlock, like, one of Thomas Jefferson's riddles or something if he
0: <laughs> spits his nails on the ground? I don't know. Oh, but, man. Yeah. It was so gross. Yeah, it was kind of gross. Yeah, my friend asked me a question because no one asked me a question. Oh, yeah. and he was like, how did you prepare for Donald and for Charlie? And he was like, great question. And he just, like, launched into it. And he was, like, so on coke. He was very, like, animated. <laughs> so it was it was just a weird thing. And Charlie Kaufman hardly spoke. Right. He was very much himself. So weird thing when did you guys first see adaptation yeah top that <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> do you want to go first you know what I don't even remember specifically but I will guess that I rented it from video mm
0: What's a video, a video well, store?
1: It's a video store okay. in North York, I guess. It's on Avenue Road. I used to go there all the time with my dad, and, and I would rent like seven movies for the week. It was like seven movies for $10 or something.
3: That video flick sale is getting a lot of <laughs> plugs on the show. <laughs> well, I
1: talked about, talk about it. it the, yeah, you tweeted at,
3: uh, yeah. Alex. Well,
1: about Emily it. and I talk about video flicks all the time because we didn't know each other then, but we both went there all the time. So we wow. for sure were like two <laughs> passing ships <laughs> oh, okay. as, as young ones. You were probably uh,
5: secretly angry at each other for taking out the same. Meryl
1: probably, hundred percent. Oh, <laughs> but um, this <laughs> Sophie's w- Choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie came out around the same time that The Hours came out, and the ou- And I saw The Hours in theaters, and it, like I was like thirteen, and I just I loved it so much, and that was kind of what, which is so weird, like at thirteen to love The Hours, but I did, and that sort of kickstarted my like Meryl obsession, and sort of like renting all of her films and adaptation was definitely like one of the ones that I rented. And I remember liking it a lot. And mm. then yeah, I don't I don't have any specific memories
0: of did, it. when you saw Meryl. Yeah. It was, like, it, she's in a completely feels like different role. Like did you did that
1: You know what I think I think we talked about this and we did adaptation on What About Meryl, but I think more than relating to Meryl when I first saw it, I really Because when I was younger, I was wanting to be a writer and I've always been sort of like a neurotic type. So I I think I really like Charlie's character just really resonated with me. And I and and also, too, I think around when I was 13, 14 was when I was really like, I've always loved movies. But at that age, I was like, okay, I'm going to like get into film. And so I think this sort of fit into that for me as well. Right. So I think it just sort of felt like one of the first like films that i had ever seen you know that had a lot a lot of layers and you know spike jones and and
0: uh, And there was something to get yeah you were like i get that Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah cool what about you
1: I don't have a cool story at
4: all about this movie. I watched it for the first time and fell asleep, so that's my big story. Um, and that was just like I I probably rented it from Video flicks. I rented it and I watched it in my basement and then I fell asleep. And I, and I think it's just because like I'm just a sleepy person and I fell asleep. I, I don't remember it being like I hate this movie. I'm I'm out, you know? Like I just I just fell asleep and I didn't finish it. So I only saw like the first 20 30 minutes. So like the ending when I rewatched it this year, I was like, "What the this movie is completely different than I thought Um, so that was kind of cool when we rewatched it and I absolutely loved it when I watched it this time uh, because I I just didn't think that Meryl had such an interesting role in it I thought Mm -hmm. she was just like this writer and I was like whatever Uh, but she like gets to like be a badass and is like, I guess we should kill him and, like, all this stuff (laughs) that we never get to see Meryl do. Right. She never
5: gets to kill. She doesn't get to kill (laughs) enough.
4: But But, yeah, so I thought it was, like, a really cool turn for her and, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I related to Charlie Kaufman in the same way that, that you did, but, like, I just thought she was such a badass, and I was like, man, I just want to take off. Like, <laughs> I know that Chris Cooper's got some missing teeth in it, but, like, I would take off with him. And, yeah. you know. He's
5: amazing. He has charisma. You don't need teeth if you right? have that. Yeah.
4: And the reason he doesn't have teeth is kind of sad. So, yeah. like, right. Yeah, yeah, it, it means kinda, a lot. It
5: means right? a lot. Right. It's so, not just, yeah. like, meth. No, 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 no. <laughs> exactly. If you judge him when it is revealed, you feel bad for him. Oh, yeah yeah. Exactly. You feel bad. Yeah, it's such good yourself. writing. Yeah, yeah. It's
4: amazing. So, and they're like, I don't know. I I think Meryl is like really sexy in this movie, and I wanted to get your you guys like, what was your opinion on? it? Well, her. she
0: has great hair. I know that much. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I think <laughs> she's sexy. Yeah.
4: Yeah,
0: I don't know. I've never been. I've never been attracted to Meryl Streep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Not so, even young Meryl. I I don't think you I've seen, seen uh, Manhattan. Oh. You would
4: definitely. Yeah. I mean, I I've don't. I've seen know. Manhattan. <laughs> I just don't remember
0: her in that. Yeah.
4: She's really. She's really she's so beautiful. beautiful. Okay. She's stunning. Okay She's got long hair
0: dissenting yeah, opinion okay yeah. uh,
4: <laughs> I don't know I just find her re- like and we've watched a lot of her movies and I yeah. think she's sexy in a lot of them but I yeah. think this is like one of her sexiest because I feel like she- especially the part when she's like on drugs where she's yeah. like very
1: carefree and like you know
4: kind yeah.
0: of the toes come into frame yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah very well, feeling herself you know yeah. no I think she's so sensual in this movie and I think what's so fascinating and, and amazing is that Spike Jones kind of took this middle-aged woman and like the camera lingers on her and the camera makes her sensual and I just think that's so so radical is spike jones and I, I that's that's what i really love about this movie
3: yeah there's yeah. A kind of like sexual longing in her character 100%. the whole mm-hmm. way through yeah. like yeah like those scenes you're talking about where she's like in bed and the camera just kind of like slowly pushes in yeah on her it's and, not salacious or
0: anything like no, her yeah. nightgown is done, like, kind of done up no. and stuff but like it does it's very sensual yeah yeah this is a this is the sexiest podcast we've yeah. ever done <laughs> <laughs> we get to see that uh, polaroid of her naked
5: Oh yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, totally, totally her, yeah, hundred percent her. her. There's
5: no technology which could stitch a head onto a body.
0: So, do you want to give us the kind of rundown of the movie, Rob?
5: Yeah, well, so uh, it sort of starts with just darkness and a voiceover, and it's like. Do I even have an original thought in my head? My bald head, my stupid head, and it's this neurotic voice, just like full of doubt and asking, like, what he needs, what he's looking for. He needs a like, girlfriend. He needs to learn Chinese, and then that would be a thing. He could write write Chinese or something. <laughs> and this is all just done in uh, in blackness with typewritten sort of titles.
0: Um, and what kind of blew me away is that one of the titles is Jonathan Demi was one of the producers on this. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is totally crazy. He was in the film business. It's not that crazy. <laughs> no, <I don't->
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: like, we, we did. Sound of the lambs a little while ago and it's that's, that's right. a completely Seems different well movie. suited yeah to me, <laughs> oh yeah okay, sure. <laughs> but it's
5: charlie kaufman as portrayed here by nicholas cage he's actually on the set of being john malkovich sort of like cowering in the corner yeah it's documentary style yeah, asking, yeah. you know, whether he should even be there, why he bothered to come, how he's in the way. Somebody says he's, you know, in the eye line, and he has to move. This part's, like, really amazing, I thought, when I first saw it, because Being John Malkovich came out, like, literally, like, a year before this?
3: No, it was
0: a few years. That was oh, nine, years. 99, I think, yeah.
5: Well, it seemed, like, very soon.
0: Still, it
3: was not that long. It's
0: and it was another Spike Jones film, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always got them mixed up because for the first four Charlie
5: Kaufman movies, it was Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones. I can never yeah. remember which one to which.
0: It was Spike Jones for the first two and then Michelle Gondry for. Eternal Sunshine. And, and and Human Nature, which wasn't very good. Human no. Nature was Michelle Gondry? Yeah. I thought it was Spike yeah. Jonze.
5: Ah, okay. But so, he's a successful Hollywood writer. They're making his film, and he has a meeting with his agent to adapt this book, Susan Orleans, The Orchid Thief. And his agent is played by Tilda Swinton. I think you guys, when you're done with Merrill because you said you're running out of movies, we talked about this, you should do a Tilda Swinton cast, and you should call it... <laughs> Till the credits.
3: <laughs> I like At, oh, okay. I, I like the pun. That's my yeah. Pitch. yeah. I think you should, you should start the podcast. Yeah, you, you seem know, very was as stupid. About it's a dumb about idea. Oh my god, yeah, that would be a ride. <laughs> why did I say <laughs> <For> that? <sure.
5: laughs> I'll just delete it. <laughs> but so he wants to make this movie. He's a writer with integrity. He wants to make it like he wants it to just exist and be. He doesn't want to put all this Hollywood convention cliche bullshit. He doesn't want to make it about drug trafficking. He doesn't want it to be sexy. He doesn't want it to have like a love interest. He just wants a beautiful story about flowers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is uh, nice.
5: Tilda Swinton's like, she sort of seems willing to let him run with it. He gets the assignment, but he's like paralyzed by his neuroses. Mm. Like, things aren't so bad for him. He has like this girl who's interested in him, Amelia. Yeah, he has a house in L.A. He has a house in L.A., which, you know, he is sharing it with his brother, we find out. Yeah, Don he doesn't have any
0: furniture. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's supposed to show that he's kind of like out of money, but... I don't know. It's also, he has a house in I don't know. You think he's supposed to be out of money? I feel like he's supposed to be uh, not well. Yeah, I, I think
1: he's just like so unorganized. And also like he, like there's this feeling of like, he doesn't deserve furniture. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. He doesn't
5: deserve <laughs> <furniture>. <laughs> Yeah. You only deserve to lay down. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh,
5: so we get also intercut with this. We do get introduced to the Meryl Streep character, Susan Orlean. And mainly at the beginning, she's sort of telling the story of John LaRoe. Mm-hmm. who is the Chris Cooper character, mm-hmm. who is this sort of, like, mustached, front teeth missing, mulleted, like,
3: Florida hick.
0: Yeah, a fun character. He's a fun character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he's
3: great. didn't he won an Oscar for this? Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he did. I think yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, he's
0: amazing. He is amazing.
5: And he sort of got in trouble for going into state protected land and cultivating all these plants and orchids. But he has uh, his loop around is that he's doing with a bunch of uh, Seminoles. Uh, I'm not going to say Indians because I don't know if that's politically correct. Okay,
3: you just said it,
5: though. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, it says it twice. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But uh, it's a
3: different time. It was the early 2000s. <laughs> and it's the character saying it. And it took place years before, because it's a flashback. Yeah, that's so true. It, was, it was really old.
5: <laughs> but he's like, because he's with them and he doesn't actually touch them, he's legally allowed to do it. He's even like with the conservation officer. He's like,
0: these plants, every one of them is endangered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the, the balls on him at that point. He's just like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm safe, because I've done my like, legal research. No, wh-
3: one thing, because I kind of watched this movie this time. I hadn't seen it in a while. I-, I liked it the time I saw it. I didn't really mention that. But I was kind of watching it more through the lens of thinking about Meryl, because I know you guys were coming on the show, and that's the reason why we were watching it. And I don't think I'd really appreciated before how they kind of parallel her and Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. like yeah. They show them writing like in conjunction with one another. I, I think they're kind of supposed to be... Charlie Kaufman's less the focus than I remember. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be, they're kind of working in tandem. Is that what you guys got?
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure.
4: And they only, like, have one scene together, I think, when they're, like, meeting in the office, right? Right, in the
5: elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. And so uh, I think, yeah, they definitely are parallel stories. And I, like, personally, like like I said before, like, I I really got lost in Susan's story. Hmm. um, Because I was like, oh, she's a female writer that wrote this beautiful story. And then this guy is trying to adapt her story, you know? And uh, so, which I feel like is a very relatable thing for a lot of female writers. And I think that Meryl really, like, infuses, like, A lot of personality into Susan, and apparently Susan was like a little weirded out by the casting of Meryl, like the real Susan. Why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because like if you look at Susan, she looks nothing like Meryl, and I think like she she just didn't understand why. Well, I would be like thrilled if Meryl (laughs) she wanted to play (laughs) it, but But, you know whatever. But then she watched it and she was like, a the Susan that she's playing is not me, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, But it's like a wonderful interpretation of what Susan is, or like what a female writer is, you know? Yeah, Um, it's
5: called adaptation. Yes.
1: It's an adaptation. So, um, but yeah, wh- what did you think of it? Well, yeah, what's so interesting about the, for, for me is the Susan Orlean situation is that when I first watched adaptation, I didn't know anything about Susan Orlean. And in the, in the years since I've really gotten into her and I listened to her podcast, cry babies, which is she so has a podcast. Yeah. Her and Sarah Thire have a podcast called cry babies and they have celebrities and like writers and comedians and stuff on. And they talk about like the stuff that makes them cry. Oh. And it's oh. so good. Cool. Like shout out to cry babies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, We should have had her on the podcast.
5: We already tried
1: that. (laughs) And then because we were doing adaptation, I actually read The Orchid Thief. And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful book. And she writes so beautifully. And it is, it it does seem like, like impossible to adapt because she goes into like the history of orchids Mm -hmm. and talks about just so in depth about orchids. And so it's after reading the book, you're like, wow, I could totally see why Charlie Kaufman would be having a meltdown over how do you adapt this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, because he says there's no narrative. There's There's no narrative. It's such
1: a beautiful book, but there's no narrative. And I guess Susan Orlean actually didn't really want herself in the movie i think a lot of writers are kind of behind the scenes they don't want any attention yeah fair and enough and she was like this and after reading the the screenplay she was like this is gonna ruin my life people are gonna think i'm a drug
3: addict <laughs> yeah i was so
0: surprised to yeah. hear yeah. that she was all right with the movie afterwards yeah after the fact yeah
3: i, think yeah. I, I was well, reading a bit about it too because because i was thinking about Marilyn. yeah it sounds like yeah. she was to be fair like pretty (laughs) pretty even annoyed at first that like I heard she was even annoyed just that that it wasn't going to be called The Orchid Thief Yeah, yeah
1: for sure and also it just sort of like gave me like goosebumps when I heard about it but I guess Susan Orlean while she was writing this The Orchid Thief she was going through like a lot of sort of personal turmoil and a lot of like she was going through marital troubles and that sort of thing which obviously is not mentioned at all in the book The Orchid Thief and so when she saw the movie she was like I cannot believe Eve, that Charlie Kaufman picked that up yeah. from my book.
0: Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, yeah, that'd that would be like, so... Yeah,
1: she was like, I hadn't talked about it publicly and Charlie just made Susan in the movie this sad character. Like, one of the one of the Seminoles, I think, actually says, like, you've such yeah. like, a sad... A
3: beautiful sadness. A beautiful
1: sadness. Like her book. Yeah. The answer's in the movie. He was yeah. following
3: her around <laughs> watching her with binoculars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: would not surprise me. He could go unnoticed, for sure. Yeah. He's so little. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> another
3: thing we didn't talk about is because I'd never seen Charlie Kaufman before we went mm-hmm. to that thing, mm-hmm. and oh. in the movie he's you know heavy set and awkward and balding. He wasn't like that at all in real life. He's he's like little and kind of wiry, and yeah. he looked like uh, he still has
0: like curly hair and stuff. He
3: had, he, yeah, yeah, but he had more hair. Yeah, he had more hair, and he kind of looked like Seth Green. <laughs> like but I that. could see like Charlie yeah.
1: Kaufman kind of in his head, like seeing himself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and like how he looks in the movie. For sure, you know, yeah. like I don't think that's a.
0: Yeah, I also think it's it's one of those things that it's kind of like if I'm going to make fun of someone else, or if I'm going to like put something on them, I'm going to put something on myself. Right? Totally. I, I was, yeah. Yeah. So. He doesn't exactly write himself as a flattering character, or even like as a hero. No, yeah. he masturbates too much to be a hero. I
5: think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also does does that something that do from being a hero. <laughs>
3: I think that's also something Susan Orlean said was like when she got the script and was reticent to do it. She was like, or the studio was saying, you know, it's not going to get made if you don't give it the okay, and everyone else is okay with it. And she also said something to the effect of, well, you know, like Charlie Kaufman kind of made himself the worst character yeah. of all. Yeah. So so she went along with it. Which yeah. is so
1: rare for a man to do. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, usually we just do it in our own heads. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's true. There's
3: not it's also like it does feel like the setup of this movie could have been like oh, let's feel sorry for this, you know, affluent dude with a good job who you know, it's really yeah. just has a pretty plum deal to, to tap the book. Like, yeah, there's not sure. a lot it's of like, sympathy yeah. it's you just might a story have. Story about
0: them. another middle-aged white man, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, but
3: I think he's so. I don't think he's asking for sympathy.
0: No, no. no. And the story isn't real. It's about him, but it's it's a layer of him. It's not. It's a, really about her and about these orchids and about adaptation as a theme, right? So I think. Yeah. It, it it does work it just looks very egotistical <laughs> yeah. yeah we
5: haven't talked yet about his really his brother donald yeah. who uh is also a parallel to him he's like he's sort of oafish and overly confident and he decides that he also wants to become a screenwriter just like his brother. Yeah, and at so, the beginning of the movie, yeah. He starts to write and he's got this like script that's a thriller and it's called The Three <laughs> and it has this conceit where like the cop is also the killer and also the victim. Like yeah. this really stupid but very Hollywood yep. idea. Identity, wasn't that like the, the, yeah. the story of identity <laughs>
3: yeah. in the movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly that. When I saw the trailer for uh, Split, oh, this looks like Donald <laughs> Kauffman's movie. <meeting. laughs>
5: <laughs> but, you know, whereas... Charlie struggles with every word every page Donald just it seems to come so naturally to him and like even when uh, everything does dating does yeah he like meets Maggie Gyllenhaal on the set of Being John Malkovich and she's just enamored with him yeah Charlie's agent loves his screenplay <laughs> he thinks it's like yeah Ron Livingston yeah, yeah it's gonna make like the most money of anything that he's ever uh, picked up <laughs> yeah. and like all of this sends him into like a spiral he doesn't know how to adapt the book He he can't figure out a way to do it he even attends the Robert McKee seminar mm-hmm. scenes in the movie yeah sure. yep. played by Brian Cox
3: yeah who we... apparently was a friend of McKee's wow who suggested him for the part and That's looks what like I really him. like him too yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> so just too. him
3: with like a wig or something
5: <laughs> <laughs> That'd yeah. be a good performance as Brian Cox as Brian McKee Wait, Robert McKee I'm so
3: confused that <laughs> that's how good it is
5: Can't
4: tell them apart. Yeah. yeah
5: it's like yeah. one of like yeah. Brian Cox's like best performances,
3: yeah, yeah. and we I should think. mention supposedly like all of this stuff happened like mm-hmm. he he did say that he went to the Robert McKee seminar and everything mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and they say that in the movie like he halfway through the movie he starts writing the script that was the beginning of the movie like we kind of see yeah yeah
1: and i mean adaptation itself like turns into a robert mckee kind of like formula yeah, with,
3: yeah you know how
1: it, insane it gets
0: yeah it, it itself yeah. adapts yeah oh yeah. It well, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah it like goes against everything he says he wants to avoid about the movie which is you know a uh, drug heist and sexiness and all that stuff yeah and we'll get to that sexiness right after these messages Okay, we're back with Danita and Emily from the What About Merrill podcast. We said we were going to talk about sexiness. Blaine, you said you had something to say. <laughs> no,
0: no. I was, I was
5: making a joke.
3: Well, uh, I mean, we can't talk about this movie without talking about the sort of third act, which, mm-hmm. like you said, becomes a McKee script, becomes like a mm-hmm. Donald Kaufman's mm-hmm. type script. Well, yeah.
0: And this is where, like, Merrill really shines, too, in this yeah. third act, because he, he starts kind of stalking Merrill a little bit with his brother. He brings his brother on board to write the script, and they go see her, and Donald kind of dresses up as Charlie to go see her and interview her. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty funny scene too. That's
5: that scene's amazing. I love Nicolas Cage's acting in that scene, just while he's yeah. like
0: listening. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. It bums
1: me out that Nicolas Cage like has adaptation performances in him, but it he does so like so good, he's yeah. so good, and he
0: disappears into
5: the character. Yeah, and he's so
1: good at, as Donald. Like, he yeah, yeah. like t- the character of Donald just makes me laugh so much. I love when he's like, "My movie's a thriller. What genre is yours?" Like, just stuff like that is just like, <laughs> it's like so funny. Buzzfeed, and, right, yeah. and you have to like reconcile in your mind that it's the same person. Like, you kind of forget. Like, it's Lindsay Lohan and the Parent Trap. You know, like that's how I feel about this. <laughs> Performance. <laughs> I have can't like, believe it's one person. <laughs> they have good
5: chemistry together. Unlike we talked about multiplicity a while ago with Michael Keaton, and it seemed like they didn't connect. But here, like yeah. I totally felt like they were always in the same scene. Yeah.
1: I will say that like Spike Jones has like a thing where he can like cr- I don't I guess he can like create chemistry between things that shouldn't have chemistry like I always think about her and Joaquin Phoenix who's amazing in it but he has chemistry with a voice Yeah, the because, voice wasn't you know, even there the right. first time it's just, yeah. it's well it
0: was a different person's yeah, voice uh, yeah, it's
1: it's so it's uh, Spike Jones just has like such a kinetic way of filming people I think mm, but like yeah. uh, but Nicolas Cage really is able to like show you the
4: difference between Donald and Charlie like with just the way that he acts like mm-hmm. they, there aren't a lot of differences in like their, their look or anything no, like, you no. just know automatically like yeah. you don't need somebody to say oh this is Donald like hey Donald you know what yeah. I mean like it's 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 so automatic they, they breathe the differently
0: <laughs> it's in the eyes honestly because Donald yeah. has wider eyes Yeah, yeah. and they He's breathe hopeful. differently and it's crazy. It's, yeah. hard. it's crazy I was reading amazing.
3: an interview they did with Ebert at the time and Ebert was saying Donald's got more hair and it's like no no like they're exactly the same
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, and Spike <laughs> Jones
3: is saying, like, you know, there's a scene where they're both sitting in a car and you can tell right away yeah. before they say anything. Which, yeah. Who's
0: who? Yeah, well, that's absolutely. amazing. Yeah. 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 And and you can tell in the script that Charlie Kaufman wrote it so that he'd be reminding you who is who. When like when they got mixed up and they were running around, they got back in the car. He goes, Donald, we have to get like he. But you don't need that. You don't need the reminder. It's no. amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I, and not.
3: Bring it back to Meryl a little bit again, because I do want to kind of. Think about this movie as a Meryl Streep movie, also.
1: Yes,
4: please. this uh, Cage podcast
3: because I I love Ew. the twist. Even though <laughs> she
4: hates Nicholas Cage, I don't yes. hate him. But
5: like, who
2: cares? Do <laughs> yeah. She but doesn't care. You know what I'll say? You know, as opposed to
5: Meryl Streep, you expect Meryl Streep to be great, so you go in with like this. Yeah, another great Meryl Streep performance in whatever yeah. this is with Nicholas Cage. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get something batshit crazy. He's going to yell at you. Doesn't for work. An hour. Yeah one time you're going to get fingernails at the
3: screen. (laughs) No, but did... So, like, I... At the time, I loved the sort of third act where it becomes this other movie. A lot of people didn't like it. Watching it now with having Meryl in the back of my head the whole time, I was thinking... Is it a problem that she was so much a sort of co-protagonist in the movie? Is it a problem that her character becomes so kind of surreal in the third act Did that, that bother you at all?
4: I just think it's like a statement on like women's roles that like the only way that she gets to play this like wild character is if this man writes this like wild fantasy right. for her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the fact that we think of it as like a surreal and a fantasy means that like women aren't often given a chance to do that, you know? Like I mean, now we have like Atomic Blonde coming out next week where we have like Charlize Theron kicking ass and stuff, but like, I feel like we expect, especially in Meryl Streep. To, like, be the Susan, the straight-laced Susan Orlean character. But I love that she gets to play this part. And I don't think it's a problem. I think it's actually pretty wonderful. And I think it's great that he let Susan be such a big part. Because it really could just be a movie about, about Charlie. Mm-hmm. But it, he lets her have this juicy role. He lets her run around. He lets her have sex. He lets her, like, have that beautiful... Like, yeah. I, I love the scene when she's, like, on the bed. And I've brought it up before. But I just think it's, like, a wonderful, no, wonderful Merrill moment. And, you know, I love the ending... And I'm, I'm so sad I missed it when I was younger because I would have, like, lived for it. <laughs> but it was also a fun surprise now to watch those scenes and, like, see her, like, having a blast. I think that's, like, one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is, like, I love when Meryl's having a blast. <laughs> because you think, like, a lot of times she's, like, playing these really, like, stiff sort of, like, as they like to say, icy characters. But, like, really, she, like... Imbues a lot of personality and a lot of fun into her characters when she really wants to, and I think this is like a great example of that.
3: Yeah, when mm-hmm. she says we're going to have to kill him,
2: yeah, yeah. it's oh not just like because
3: Susan Orlean is saying that, like it's Meryl Streep yeah. saying that, yeah. and yeah. that catches
0: you off guard well, all the more. She's
5: considering it is amazing. <laughs> I know. I
0: watched that moment. I rewinded that moment because it was it was like a masterclass in acting. Yeah, because like, she's looking around, she's finding it, and then she finds it, and her face drops, yeah. and she and I think realizes that's what, what she has to do. What makes this whole part work because she
3: is kind of playing like a shell person in a way because she's playing almost a fictional character in, mm-hmm. in kind of the trajectory of the movie but she plays it so real
2: yeah. in,
5: yeah.
3: in scenes like that it, it, that's, I think that's why it works for mm-hmm.
5: me I think her character's arc is like really I mean we know that it parallels the Charlie Kaufman thing but like it feels a lot more real like her desire for for something to find passion in and you know she tries to find it in LaRoche, but his interest the way they like flitter from thing to thing he's like right. and then I said fuck fish done with fish
2: (laughs) yeah
0: and the theme like permeates every level of of the script like he's adapting all the like he's changing all the time like it's amazing but the elusiveness
5: of I don't know happiness or that thing yeah that you long for
1: yeah like I think I think LaRoche Mm sort of brings like just such a spontaneity and like uh, just excitement to her life that she didn't have before like you see her earlier in the film at the dinner scene at her apartment with you know just a bunch of like New York intellectuals and it's just so interesting like that's kind of the life that so many people dream of having or like it's so it's, it's, a, it's a life that people fantasize about and it's so clear in that dinner scene and she's walking when she leaves the table and walks to the bathroom like there's a sense of like heaviness in that scene and i don't know how meryl portrayed heaviness yeah. <laughs> like an emotional heaviness but well, she and does
0: and it's right after she like makes the joke in the doorway yeah where he's like oh i'm gonna tell the story anyway and she like yeah. jumps up and down and <laughs> goes don't, don't tell I know. I don't like
1: know. i just feel like so like oh like goosebumps when I'm talking about that scene I love it so much but I think I think Larose just brings like sort of just like a whole new world to her and just like excitement and she doesn't know what's gonna happen and you know yeah and And
0: Chris Cooper he supports that character so well Mm -hmm. by being the opposite and I think them acting together really made and him sing too right like they had each other and I think that that helped both of their performances I also like Chris
5: Cooper as a a parallel to Charlie Kaufman too because he's like the exact opposite he's like overly confident but he's incompetent there's yeah. <laughs> right. like right. no
1: self-awareness mm. yeah which I think and I think for Charlie Kaufman like a, a person like LaRoche like that is what you lust after like I know for me I, I you know I see people walking around just like so freely and like that would be so nice <laughs> to like never worry about anything you know so like I think I think Charlie Kaufman is is probably so fascinated by someone like LaRoche because I think LaRoche really is a person like that yeah you know who's just <laughs> He says
5: that he thinks he's the smartest person right. he knows, and he believes it. It's yeah, a great that, line. Yeah, yeah, it lets you know everything you need to know about that yeah. character. Yeah. So the third act is when it gets like batshit crazy, because this is the point where LaRoche sends Susan all these drugs. She starts doing the stuff that they refined from the ghost orchid plants. That's the reason that they were hunting it, not for its ephemeral beauty or whatever. It was because it could be used to get you high. Right. which is beautiful
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and there's things set up that like uh, you know the guy who like loves her hair earlier in the movie mm-hmm. uh when it's not about drugs at all and then it's like oh that's why he was acting so strange so yeah. uh, so it kind of sets stuff up or or turns things throughout the third act
3: it's, it's funny that it is in a lot of ways such a conventional script even before it gets to the conventional but i don't mean conventional in terms of like its approach, because obviously very different, but in terms yeah. of like doing things like seating and yeah, that, that they're gonna do the drug thing later, yeah. like it, and it does have uh, you know pretty, pretty solid structure. And in a lot yeah. of ways, it's only structure mm-hmm. at certain points, like they're doing flashbacks within flashbacks. And yeah, we see yeah. like the entire history of
0: the universe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> him being or somebody being born. <laughs> but the, yeah, the thing, the weird thing is, is that most of the, I mean, you brought it up, Emily, but most of the women in this film are in fantasies Mm -hmm. like uh, most uh, women who have dialogue hardly ever have it together Mm -hmm. I think it passes the Bechdel test barely because Catherine Keener and Maggie Jill and i have a conversation for a second but mm-hmm. I think it's like one word well, what are they talking about yeah I don't even know they're talking about Don <laughs>
4: that doesn't pass the best show uh, yeah, no, it yeah
0: it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't. Uh, so, I
3: did like I was watching this with my wife and she pointed out that the scene where he fantasizes about going to the orchid show with Judy Greer that Judy Greer is still wearing her waitress <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even imagine a different set of clothes yeah,
5: yeah. well you know yeah. I've seen a lot of Charlie Coffin's movies with women and and sometimes, like it does come up that maybe he does have like a problem writing Definitely. women, or like he only sort of sees them through the lens of fantasy. I think that, like in a way, he's like kind of like almost like disgustingly honest about how he views women. Sometimes in movies like *Anomalisa* or *Oh, in oh, New, yeah, okay. New York*. I mean, those are movies that are about like a white dude's anxiety so completely that, like, I think sometimes it's hard for maybe women in particular to be sort of let in. This movie sort of is maybe the. Experience because the Meryl Streep character is so strong. But then again, I didn't really remember being that strong the first time. But, but it's
4: like she becomes stronger when he's tr- making it like a crazy thriller fantasy and applying the sort of like stereotypes and expectations of what a male character, I think, would do in those situations. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know that he's like writing it as like a, a great female character. He's writing it like how you would write any character in, like, a thriller. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's almost, like, kind of sad that it takes that for him to get to that sort of female character representation. But I I do think, like, it's... I think it's his best female character that he's written for the screen. Like, that's my personal opinion. But maybe I'm biased because I love Meryl and I think she brings a great performance to it. And maybe that helps, too, is, like... Meryl takes it to the next level. If it was some other actress, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would feel the same way about Susan Orlean. Yeah, mm-hmm. on screen, we talk a lot
1: about how Meryl really, really just elevates anything she's in. We've watched some some of her dads, and we're like, even with with anything, she just she just elevates any material. So I think Emily's right in that in that sense.
0: Yeah, and she can take kind of out-there material and make it watchable and real. Like, this is kind of out there, and it's very watchable because of her. Same with Death Becomes Her and stuff, so.
3: I also, I didn't think those were all fantasy
0: sequences. Like, with her at the dinner party... Going to the bathroom, or scenes of her no, writing. No, yeah. those, no those, those are, are real. but then Judy Greer, and then Tilda Swinton, and then her in the end being kind of a fantasy sequence in the end. And I like, guess
4: not like that they're fantasies, but like the surrealism of the like ending sequences when she is like going to kill somebody. You know, like yeah. it's it's all in like a formulaic sort of setup. You know, of 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 the thriller. Yeah, like like he lets her let go because it's supposed to be
1: outrageous,
2: right? You know yeah. what I mean?
1: As opposed to like this is supposed to be real life. Yeah, I think it was just sort of like a formula that he started following and just happened. To be a woman in that character, like he could have plugged in anyone, but it just happened to be Susan Orlean.
0: It's so interesting, though, because Susan Orlean is writing about—I mean, predominantly Orchid's—but about Laroche, right? In mm-hmm. the in the Orchid Thief, yeah. And then Charlie Kaufman is writing about her, so it's it's kind of a guy writing about a, a woman's story about a guy. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very and to and to make it a movie, a Hollywood movie, he has to change. A woman's story that doesn't have a narrative into something that has like a very driven narrative and plot, so it I don't know it might be even a comment on on that mm-hmm. well, but you even said like
5: her
3: story is an adaptation of La Roche's story, right, yeah. Yeah. So which is an adaptation of the orchid story.
0: Which is an orchid sign off on this? Did <laughs> <laughs> they have to use a different name. Yeah, the orchids are pissed. <laughs> it's like they're all
5: connected.
0: They just want to grow on trees and everyone's <laughs> cutting them down now because of this movie. Oh yeah, probably. But this movie like devastated the orchid
3: population in Florida. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We also didn't really talk about like the they didn't really admit that Donald Kaufman wasn't a person when they were promoting this movie yeah uh, and like it's dedicated yeah. to his memory, at the memory end. <laughs> he Thomas. was nominated for an Oscar was right he? yeah they had for the to screenplay. because the screenplay is credited to both they had to <laughs> nominate a fictional character for an Oscar he Did yeah and I don't know if you remember the I think the image they used was Charlie Kaufman and then just like a mirror image of the same photo <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty brilliant.
0: Yeah. I like like the fun. continuing of like the metatextual elements. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of Spike Jones's influence too. Like he I think he takes jokes too far. Mm-hmm. Like he does the Jackass stuff. Like I think he's yeah, in that world. Right. Well, for sure. That's why, like, they're,
5: like, really perfect when they work together, Charlie mm-hmm. Kaufman and Spike Jones. Just yeah.
4: talking about that sort of, like, meta thing continuing, like, I don't know if you guys ever saw the BAFTA Awards acceptance speech that Merrill did on behalf of Charlie Kaufman. No. Like, it won best, or I guess, best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay. Adapted? And mm-hmm. so she had to read what he wrote for her, and it was just, like, so great. Like, like you just have to watch it. But there's a great moment where she slips up, maybe because she's nervous because she doesn't know. I don't think she'd read what he had wrote. She just, like read it out loud the first time oh, that's amazing. so I think she was kind of nervous being like what is he gonna make me say but she gets a little nervous and she says I'd like to spank instead of thank and it's like this amazing moment <laughs> crack in the Meryl Streep you know uh, facade so anyways you guys should definitely watch it wow. which I was like and also in a lot of interviews Meryl was like uh, she thought that Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones were really hip yeah. cool guys <laughs> so she was really intimidated to work on this movie because she thought they were like so cool and like out there which I just think is like adorable because I was like they're the least hip yeah. cool yeah. guys <laughs> they're like huge nerds <laughs>
5: yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> that's do like Spike Jones directed Beastie Boys videos yeah but he that's pretty I mean, hip he talks like, he's kind of a nerd which yeah, I like you but,
3: wouldn't cast him as a cool guy and a, you wouldn't cast him as Fonzie or something <laughs> Would you no. cast them in like three kings. Yeah, it's like the Weasley little. <laughs> yeah. He has or a like,
0: gun. Yeah, <laughs> or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we should put the Baptist speech up on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll do that. It's yeah, so it's good. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: I, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the other Merrill Street movies you guys have been watching because you've you've been rewatching tons of Merrill movies yeah. for your podcast. Were there any that stood out as better than you thought they'd be or worse than you thought?
1: Um, for me, and I'm I honestly. All I do is talk about She-Devil since we watched it months ago. (laughs) You guys laugh, but it's so good. And, like, listeners, please go and watch She-Devil. It has such a bad reputation. But Susan Seidelman, the director, just, like, it's just such a cool movie. It looks cool, and and it's by women, for women, starring women, and it's, like, subversively feminist in ways that, like, is so ahead of its time. Like, it's sort of like the first Wives Club, but, like, but... I don't want to say better because my other love is Bette Midler.
0: <laughs> but with Lucifer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but yeah, it is sort
1: of like a precursor to the First Wives Club and it's like, you know, six or seven years prior and, and when I saw it I just because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid and it just like blew my head off because my <laughs> expectations were so low and I was like this is the coolest movie <laughs> and when we we screened it at the Royal back in May and everyone kind of coming out of the theater was like wow that was so much better than we remember wow. so it was just such a cool so a rewatchable cool is what you're saying it's so rewatchable uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's
3: based on a novel too yeah by it? Faye Weldon
1: which is, and it's such a cool cool book
4: yeah. yeah um and uh i guess the movie that surprised me the most is silkwood because i'd never oh. actually watched it and oh my god i'm literally obsessed with it i bring it up all the time. <laughs> but like i'm also like a sucker for like real life stories about women that try really hard and then like struggle like i was obsessed with aaron brockovich when it came out i just was like obsessed with it i know they're both real life stories so i think that like imbues me to it too but like silkwood Cher plays a, like, lesbian, her, like, roommate who's, like, a cool lesbian. Kurt Russell's, like, really hot in it, and uh, as always, but he's he's also the supporting character in it, which I love, and Meryl's just, like, so badass, and like, wearing, like, cowboy boots and skirts, and and the story is just incredible, and it's, like, it's also a mystery, too. I don't know if you guys know the story about Karen Silkwood, but it's, like, it's just exceptional, and she's also really cool in it, and I, going back to this, like, hip, cool thing, I think people don't think of Meryl being hip or cool, but I think she really can play that in addition to playing the, like, you know, Doubt character or, like, Mm. Sophie's Choice. Also, Sophie's Choice, I know there's, like, so many jokes about Sophie's
1: Choice and whatever, but, like, honestly, (laughs) she's incredible in it. Yeah, I think that one surprised both of us i had seen it a couple times before i rewatched it for the podcast and and i in general just like kind of stay away from movies about war and just like really sad things and so i told emily like i had to confess that i like fast forwarded through some of the holocaust scenes because it's just too much for me but she we were telling the guys downstairs like she invented acting with Sophie's choice when you rewatch that you're just like she is doing so many things on so many different layers like it's just incredible what she does in that movie and and so it's just brilliant to watch and it but i but i also think like doing this podcast she does have those kind of like heavy handed films like Out of Africa or even something like a Sophie's Choice or Ironweed or but she also like had a lot of fun over the years and I think that's what people forget. So that's been a really nice surprise for us. But if think. you had
3: to pick between Sophie's Choice and one of the other movies? No, I'm stuck. That's, 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 that's I was yeah.
5: ready
1: to pick. Uh, <laughs>
4: did you
5: did you guys do Angels in America? No. Okay, so
4: that's like a we're trying to decide how to do that because right. she's like she plays multiple three characters. parts. Yeah, yeah, and there's four four parts to the series? More. I okay. It, yeah, it's like a six-part six miniseries. Yeah, it's yeah. very long. So we're trying to figure out if we should do, like, two-parter episode or one episode on each one, because we just do one movie, like mm. you guys do, one movie per episode, so we're trying to figure it out. But we want to do it, because it's, like... It's incredible. It's
3: an oh. incredible yeah. performance. She's yeah. great. Yeah. Doesn't she play, like, a rabbi? Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. plays,
5: like, an old rabbi, yeah. and, like, a Mormon mom, and uh, probably some angel or some
2: shit. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, apparently, like, uh, we had Johanna Schneller on our adaptation episode, actually. She loves adaptation and she interviewed Meryl at the ROM like when was it how many years ago like 2007 2007 Um, and I were both there yes uh, (laughs) we didn't know each other at the time but Johanna like put together a package of clips of Meryl and one of the clips was Meryl as a rabbi and the guy that was like running the AV was like this isn't a Meryl Streep clip is this the wrong clip
3: (laughs) I didn't know like the first four times I watched that (laughs) movie that's clearly uh, screen legend Judd Hirsch (laughs) accidentally put him there yeah it's funny and we were talking before the podcast about the movie The River Wild yeah which I loved as a kid and I just realized that was directed by Curtis Hanson who yes. plays her husband in adaptation whoa oh, we didn't, yes, I don't maybe. know if
1: we ever knew that
4: meta
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: that's What's great that? that's so cool the river world is interesting I think you guys would all like it and like I don't know if it would hold up to your expectations yeah maybe not <laughs> but I feel like for a first watch for you guys yeah. it might be cool because it's like Meryl's only like real like thriller aside from the end of adaptation I guess <laughs> but it's her only like real thriller and she really brings it like she looks strong she is strong she like goes up against Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley. also is the mm-hmm. other guy oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool!
3: Uh, scary John C. Riley or yeah. funny John no, C. Riley? scary. scary. Oh, scary. Yeah. Really creepy. And her husband is David Strathairn. Yeah. Right? yeah, so
1: cute in it. Like it really awakened something in me. <laughs> but I had never seen it, and it was when I was going through sort of Meryl's filmography in high school. I was like, this, this is, so, this seems so stupid. I'm not. It's not really like I love thrillers, but I thought it was more like action versus thriller. And I don't care about Kevin Bacon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> He's <laughs> but, actually
3: a listener. So <laughs> we're
1: yeah. um, we're at least
0: six degrees from him. Right but
1: now. I was but I was so pleasantly surprised by this film. I so so that was another really kind of fun one. And actually, I told I told Emily Aunt when we were recording that I feel like I've just spent my whole life watching movies. And sometimes I feel like there's not a lot left. Like, I'm not going to discover that much that, like, is new for me. And so the fact that I had this, like, hidden gem of a Meryl movie after, you know, 20 years of watching Meryl Street movies, I, like, got a little emotional when she came on screen because I was like, this is beautiful. It's like a new, like, obviously Meryl's going to make more movies, but to sort of have one to go back and discover that I had never seen, it was like, it was like uncovering, like, a vault or something. Like, it was just, it was the best.
5: Did you guys read that article? I can't remember if it was new or whether it was just sort of like brought back on long form. But it was about Meryl Streep while she was filming Kramer versus Kramer and how mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman was a dick. But it was also just after her then boyfriend, the guy who played Fredo Corleone,
3: died. Uh, John Cazale. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yep. That's a good article. We that's
1: talked sad. in depth about that for our Kramer versus Kramer episode which sort of upset Emily's mom <laughs> oh my god so my mom was supposed to be on the episode because like it's like one of her favorite movies she's talked
4: about it since I was a kid so I was like I'm gonna bring her on also she's a mom we're not moms so we can't bring that perspective to the movie right, right. and to the character of Johanna so we were like okay let's bring her on she couldn't come on because my brother ended up in the hospital so we like I recorded a little segment and with her she abandoned her. him yeah she did no uh, but we recorded a little segment with her and she hadn't listened to what we We said until the episode came out, and then she was like, "I was really offended by what you said about Dustin." And I was like, "I was like, well, it was a fact that was reported by Vanity
1: Fair," and like,
4: (laughs) so she still has
1: a thing for Dustin, but like, you know, um, I mean, we like, it was. Problem, like, problematic faves, but, like, Dustin Hoffman is really cute in it. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that's like, maybe dudes should just stop, like, stop ruining things for us. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> well, the, yeah, a PSA for right. all actors out there. Yeah. Hey, dudes, stop ruining shit. Uh, well, the, the,
1: the big thing that happened, and you
4: mentioned John Cazale, like, he used the fact that John Cazale, like, Meryl's partner, yeah. had died to get an emotional response out yeah. of her, which oh. is Fuck such a that. dick move. Oh. Like, yeah. you know? So, yeah. and it's like, Oh, you don't believe that this girl, I guess she was new to the industry at the time, but you don't believe that she can elicit that response on her own? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this, but like, fuck yeah. you. No, no. no. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, yeah. you know. You can now. Yeah, well, I yeah, just I did.
2: <laughs> fuck
5: you, Dustin Hoffman. You're still one of the greatest actors ever. Yeah, but you're a fucking it, asshole.
1: It just sort of took a lot of agency away from, like, Meryl's own performance. And it, at, not that we're talking about Kramer versus Kramer in this episode, but I mean the one of the end scenes in court everyone was struggling with joanna's kind of last speech and meryl went in to sort of like her her hotel room and just wrote something down and it was perfect and dustin hoffman like held a lot of animosity towards her because of that because he had tried to write something and it didn't work Mm. and so there's a lot of sort of really interesting stuff about that movie
3: Well, he was a listener too, but I guess (laughs) there's another one gone.
1: It's his own fault.
0: (laughs) Well, let's let's wrap up here and let's go around and see if uh, if this movie was rewatchable for you, Rob. Yeah, I mean,
5: I think that like it has like some structural like uh, uh, unsteadiness at points, like it's sort of slow at points but I think it's such like a well-written movie and I think it, all the characters um, I, I think they really like feed off each other in like a really great way and it becomes like such a big cohesive statement and it even like, it's really brilliant in the way that it succeeds by failing or like lets itself succeed by failing like in that third act becoming like the, the thriller or whatever. So I, I love this movie it's totally rewatchable and i got so much you know more from it watching it again uh, this time so i'll watch it again probably soon great what about you jam
3: uh yeah i i really like this movie i continue to like it uh it's not my favorite of, of the charlie kaufman ones i think i think i probably like synecdoche new york more but uh yeah oh it was really God, good really
0: yeah it's like, like the like most movie? depressing but like that's up there with requiem for a dream for me like i don't know if i can watch it yeah again. oh i've never i've only seen it once it like depressed me for months after
3: i bought the dvd and will never watch it <laughs> yeah and i don't think we talked too much about the twin stuff but in in kind of mentioning uh What we were saying before about how it is kind of like it it has those script devices, even before it's kind of uh, acknowledging that it's it's using like some McKee like tricks. And I think the twin thing is kind of a brilliant construct in that vein. Like it's it's how does he tell that story about him grappling with things? by himself you can't do it he has to like he literally uses like multiple personalities to tell the story and I think the fact that he's doing that the whole time without even like tipping his hand well he, necessarily. he confuses
0: you because he uses the, the voiceover so you're like that's how he grapples with himself but really it's the brother exactly
3: yeah. yeah so I think
0: yeah, th- yeah that's
3: what I mean it's like it's not a lack of structure, which is what he's kind of sending out to do, is almost like too much structure. Like, he has too many, there's too much going on. It's Uh, like a writing
0: magic trick. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. No,
3: I I think it's a great movie, and uh, I'll I'll definitely watch it again. Okay. What about you, Emma?
4: I definitely think it's a rewatchable movie. I mean, I've only watched it two times now. Well, I guess one and a half times. But I would definitely rewatch it, even just for Meryl, because I also think, like, in Meryl' trajectory, like, she had done music of The Heart right before this, and then after she got to do a lot, of diverse, really interesting stuff. So, I really thank this movie for, I think, showing people a different side of Meryl. And also, I, I just think it's a fun movie to watch, especially if you're a writer, because you can just relate to it. So, I would definitely
1: rewatch it. Denise? I also would rewatch it. While watching it last night, I was like, this is a movie that just gets more and more fun the more times you watch it. And that's what I love about great movies, you know, and I just think this is a great movie. And I agree with Emily that it's just an interesting point in Meryl's career like she was a middle-aged actress and she could have never worked again you know in this kind of like the early 2000s and she just it just sort of kick started like the you know the Meryl we know now so, you know, I just, I think it's a special movie. The new Meryl Right. Sorry. She probably right. thought she was going
3: to get to kill someone uh, when she signed up for Music in the Heart. It's a Wes Craven movie. Right.
1: Oh, we talked about that in the yeah. Music yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: Love
1: that movie, by the way. You yeah. should all watch it.
0: I, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with everyone else. I think it's a really eminently rewatchable movie and so much fun because of Meryl Streep. She, she really brings it. Thank you both for coming on the podcast and talking about Meryl with us.
1: Thanks for having us. We love bringing Meryl to the masses. <laughs> <laughs> As we say, Meryl to the masses,
0: <laughs> and you can check out uh, your guys' podcast at whataboutmerrill.com and on iTunes. Is that certain? yeah? Is that well, the, yeah. The same?
1: Well, I don't know if we have a whataboutmerrill.com dot com, but
0: yeah, I gave you the domain name if you, on, if you want one. We're
1: on Facebook, <laughs> okay. we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr. Emily usually does this at the end of our episode, like so it. this you is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're on everywhere You're uh, to our social details. media, and <laughs> we're on iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher, and, and SoundCloud.
0: Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you can also find our podcast on all those sites too at rewatchability.com, facebook.com slash rewatchability, and on Twitter at rewatchability. And you can also help us out by going to patreon.com slash rewatchability and giving us a few bucks per month, foregoing a coffee once a month and helping us keep the lights Don't on. Don't
3: make them forego a coffee because well, yeah. people need a coffee. I
0: need a coffee. Well, well I for, like, uh, the third coffee then. Maybe the third coffee okay. after 3 p.m. You, you should to do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Learn to adapt. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see Imagine me
3: and you, I do. Come on, I think about you day and night. It's only right. Come on, sing with me. To think about the one you love and hold her tight. So happy to get... What the hell?
2: Hold up.